So, um, man, I, I was thinking about my story and the last several years, the things that the Lord has done in my heart and in my past and the healings, the surrender. It feels like a cycle sometimes. The more the Lord heals, the more he suddenly says, I have to surrender. You know, I thought at some point we would move past some of that and I haven't. It's still, it's still happening. And, um, and in all of that, as the healing comes and the surrender comes, there's the call to pick things up. And in the last several years, the, the, the voice and the heartbeat of, on me has been changing. The change is this. You're a mama. You're a mama. And you're to step into being a mama. And you're to pull others along with you. The word says that the Lord is drawing the heart of the sons to the fathers and the heart of the fathers to the son. And the Lord started speaking to me this. I don't even know. I mean, I'm trying to think how, how many years ago I started praying, talking to Brad. Two, three years ago. I'm not sure. And then, you know, God is so good because he doesn't just speak to one person, right? His spirit begins to go out, and it's seeking those which, which will listen. And I'm not saying I'm any bad or anything. I just didn't know. I mean, I thought maybe God was just talking to Meg. Like, all right, okay, let's do this. It's time to step up, right? And so there's a group of girls and I who five years ago took over and started a mom's group. Um, and we really wanted it to be for women. And then we realized it was really a mom's group, but anybody was welcome to come, but our job was to mother those that was there, that, that came. I said, totally poor English there, sorry. But that was the goal of that, is that that was what we were to do, was to love on those who needed, to needed a mom, and to be mothers, and to learn more about that process ourselves. So Brad and I have, if you don't know us well, or you're still, like maybe you're today, the first day, we have from 16 down to two. So there's four kids spread out in there. So Emma is 16. We adopted her at two and a half. And then Josie came along, and she is turning 10 this next week, and we adopted her at zero. Um, she was, found out about her and brought her home. Well, we didn't bring her home that first day, but we found out about her, and she was born and placed in our arms within a 12-hour period. Praise Jesus for that. We weren't looking to adopt. We didn't know what we wanted. You know what I mean? Like the Lord was like, I know you need this, and you had no idea. And it was, it was a wild ride, and she has been a wild ride ever since. And then 13 years went by, and then the Lord gave us Cohen, who is turning five, and, um, or turned five this week, and Lottie, who is two and a half. And in all of that, I thought, I don't really know how to be a mom. I don't know. I feel like I'm echoing. I'm sorry. Is that me, or? There's like a wah, wah, wah. Sorry, I can't do anything about it. Um, do you want me to use the handheld instead? Okay. Oh, okay. Well, so I didn't know how to be a mom, and I think part of that was I was still learning how to be a daughter at the same time. You know, I mean, I think many of us go through those teenage years, and even if we don't act out in rebellion, there's possibly the little bit of a heart of rebellion in some of that, and part of that is natural. The Lord causes that to happen just so we have some separation, right? Otherwise, we would never cut the apron string. So you want, you want the pushback. That's what Brad tells me. You want the pushback in submission and the pushback in submission. And, and so the Lord has been so gracious because that's me. That's still been me. It's like I want to submit, but shh. And there's been a little bit of a pushback. 
And so then the Lord starts speaking to me this about a couple years ago, and then I start hearing it other places. I start seeing it other places, that it is a time to rise up. And, and I think as then the Lord began to start King's Church, he was speaking to me afresh, and I had to come to a place of complete submission to that because I was okay being the pastor's wife. I really was. I was okay with the role that I had walked in for 18 years. And he said, this is something different. It's a new season and a new time because I want you to cry out the truths with all of you and to say that is a new season for all of us. It is a season for our men to become the daddies and that they've always been called to be. But I heard this quote, and I'm not going to get right, but it just burned the core of who I was, that as women, as wives, as mothers, we are not to abdicate the role of the mother in order to lift the role of the father. We have to stand up because the lioness still needs to roar. And the lioness calls out the truth in the tribe. And it's not called tribe. What's it called? A pride, thank you. In the pride. We have to lay down our pride to be the pride. And so we are needed in the rightful ways. And so it is not by accident that I think that the Lord said, hey, I'm going to have you speak the first week, and then I'm going to have you speak the last week, which was just by Brad sticking dates on a calendar. And Or the first week he got sick and couldn't talk, and he was 15 minutes before service. Meg, it's you. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> this one was on a calendar. But, but he's, you know, when we realized, oh, the shift is coming, the shift is coming, and it's time to step into our roles in even new ways. And we have said that our group, our body, our family that we're building here is a team of wounded healers. We have all walked in places that are beautiful, but we need to heal, be healed, to march into the land to not let it go fallow, like, like we've read the last five weeks in Ezra, right? Where, um, it was Ezra that we were in, you guys, yeah, oh, thank you, <laughs> a little feedback here. But, but uh, you know, we don't want to let that happen. We don't want to miss God's hand saying, march, we're marching, we're claiming, we're walking forward. So anyway, in that, I have just had this burning heart of, of calling out to the Lord and saying, Lord, raise up a family of mamas and papas. You know, that we mother and we father and we correct each other's children even sometimes. And it's good because that's what community is, right? Because sometimes somebody's going to step in and have a word for me too. I have to hear that. And sometimes my kids need for their safety for somebody to say, stop, don't go out that door because maybe I didn't see it. You know, and so I need a community that is aware of my children and I need to be aware of their children. And we are raising and living a life not for ourselves, not for ourselves. This is not about Megan and Megan's generation. This is not about you guys or your generation. This is about the next generation and the next generation to come. And that what do we need to lay down right now? If you could, if you could lay something down and you knew you were laying it down because it would bless your grandkids, would you do that? Would you? So let's look into that a little bit more. Um, so I have been spending some time um, this week in Habakkuk. I don't know. Have you guys ever really done a deep study of Habakkuk? I really wanted to, but we didn't have enough time. It's only three chapters, and it could have taken me six weeks, and Brad gave me one. So, so we're going to do a quick overview, right, um, of Habakkuk. So if you guys will go ahead and open there. 
I'll let you find it. I stuck a cheat sheet in mine. It's on page 1020 in my book. <laughs> Do you guys have your actual Bibles with you this week? Do you have the right? I know, if you have the right Bible, then it's in, in 1020. We're going to be in Habakkuk 2. As you're turning there and you're finding that, uh, here's a little bit of background in Habakkuk. Um, he's a very early prophet. If, uh, if you guys have been here very long, you know that we've been kind of, and we're going to be doing more, but we're doing some prep work on this end, so you'll hear us talk about it, but our catechism that we do with our kids, we've made it through the first three questions. We're pausing a little bit so we can do it well, and we can give you guys things, and we can, and can do it together. But one of the questions later on is, what is a major prophet, and what are the minor prophets? And, um, and quite literally, one of um, Habakkuk is one of 12 minor prophets, and it's like, why is he a minor prophet? And the answer is, because they're shorter books than the major prophets. I had no idea until I started doing that a long time ago with my kids. I was like, really? That's it? That's why they're called minor prophets? Yeah. So it has nothing to do with whether they're more important or less important, and they're not put in chronological order. How annoying is that to the OCD and me? Uh, I find it really annoying that like Zephaniah came before Habakkuk and it's not in order. I'm like, why? Why not? Uh, I wasn't consulted. So, I can't believe why. So Habakkuk was written about 605 BC before the Babylons were moving into attacking. So before Nebuchadnezzar, before all of that, Habakkuk was written right before that. So it's foretelling a future that they could see. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came into power about that time, and he began this series of attacks, and we hear his name a lot throughout. You hear it, but this is just before that. And only about 15 or 20 years before Habakkuk was, was written, Josiah had been, King Josiah had been on the throne, and he had brought about a type of revival. And he had looked at his people and he said, we need to return to purity. We need to return to the things of the Lord. But he was the king. He wasn't the priest. And he did this. He did all the right stuff. But less than 15, 20 years later, the people have really just taken this white arm to swing again. It, it didn't take root, if that makes sense. It really was not a heart change. It was a behavioral change. And if you guys know anything, that when we change our actions but don't change our heart, it is short, short-lived, right? So the people had already forgotten they were decaying as a culture, and they were forgetting their God, forgetting their God. Habakkuk is unique in a couple different ways. It's one of the first time a man questions the fairness of God's management. How fair is it that evil is winning out? It just doesn't seem fair. My kids ask me that or tell me that. That wasn't fair. Nobody ever promised you life would be fair. He wasn't. But... So we have number uh, chapter one is that, chapter two is the divine's response, God speaking back. And that's where we're going to kind of settle today um, and look a little bit into chapter three, and that is Habakkuk's hymn of praise, which is such a poor word for it. It's such a poor word. So at some point this week, I challenge you to actually go kind of sit in this for a little bit. It is amazing how much of the New Testament is actually based out of this little book. And I have to tell you, I was heading a couple other places for this week, and I was praying about it, and then my book, the Lord just opened, quite literally opened my book here and said, look here. And, um, and I was like, whoa, okay. And so I was ta talking to Brad about it, and he's like, I have never really spent much time there. You know, we read through it, but it is good, and it's meaty. So I, I ask that you guys spend some time there. Um, today. So let's read Habakkuk um, 2, 1 through 4. I'm going to just read that out loud with us. 
I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Then it has a title, The Righteous Shall Live by His Faith. And the Lord answered me, write the version, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Then the end of chapter, the little bit of four right there, but the righteous shall live by his faith. You guys pray with me. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is, is true yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It doesn't change. It doesn't change because our culture changes. It doesn't change because who we are as a people. It doesn't change. Your word is consistent. Lord, speak your word into our hearts today. Amen. So there were difficult circumstances that were happening. The people had walked away from what they had been hearing with Josiah. They had decided they had better thoughts in store. I, I just keep coming back to it, and I don't want to diss on my teenager, but oftentimes teens think they have a better idea, right? I mean, how many of you are driving somewhere, and they say, go, go, and you look up, and it's a red light? Like, really? I mean, it drives me crazy. My kids do that in the car. In fact, Josie has started doing that. Like, from the back seat, my two-year-old, go, mommy, go. She was doing it to Brad today on the way here. And if we had just, okay, let's go. You know, like, how foolish would that be to just jump out there, at a, you know, in a red light? We would never do that. But oftentimes, I think we do that in our spirits as children of God. Like, go, go, go. Let's just jump ahead. Let's just do this. And let's, let's, let's make the decision for ourselves. And Habakkuk says, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to do this differently because I'm frustrated. So, so it's kind of like a, a speaking out of his frustration in, in chapter 1, and then there's an answer, and then he's speaking out of his frustration again. And, and God had answered him and said, I'm doing things, but you wouldn't believe me if I told you what I'm doing. And he said, basically, like, try me. <laughs> Tell me anyway. And then he was like, and I'm going to wait. And God says, you can't handle the truth. And then Habakkuk says, but I'm not going anywhere till I hear from you. How often do we say that? I'm not going anywhere till I hear from you. So one of the things that King's Church has is called King's 30. And I have to tell you, it is not a closed group. The only requirement is for you to say, I want to be part of King's 30. And here are the things. It's like five simple things. These are the parts of, can that go up really fast behind me? I actually don't know what's up behind me. I forgot to read. Are you guys strolling? It is back there. It's there. <laughs> Y'all are ahead of me. Good job. But um, can you bring up King's 30? Okay. <laughs> Y'all pray for him. He's sick. All right, let's do that. So the King's 30 is that there's a, a, a commitment to attend for the first year of King's Church, to invite others to be part of it, to give, to tithe regularly, but we believe that tithing is a biblical mandate that we do, and to pray for one another regularly. So there's a Facebook group called King's 30. So you're going to probably see it get mentioned here and there. The only reason it's a closed group is that we do those things in the group. They, we pray in there. And so we have it as a closed group. And anytime anybody says, I want to commit to King's 30, we're like, awesome. You're on Facebook, you're in the group. Because that's how we communicate 
easiest right now. And it and we'll send out texts or whatever. So I don't want you to hear, oh, that's a higher level of something that I can't be part of. No, that's an open group. It's an open group. But Kings 30 did a 10, I'm sorry, I can't sit down anymore. I'm sorry. Um, Kings 30 did a 10-day long fast that we just ended last Friday. And, and so each of the 10 days were some videos, some different devotionals that different Kings 30 people were. It was gorgeous. It was such a beautiful time. And basically during that time, we said, we are not moving until we hear from the Lord. We're not moving. Lord, we have to hear from you. We have to hear from you. And man, he just started answering. He started answering. And, and in those answers, you know what else happened? There was pushback. There was pushback. And then he answered, and there's pushback, and he answered, and there's pushback. And that didn't end just because our fasting ended. And it has been beautiful because there have been some more devotions and more prayer and more pushback and more love. And, and it just bonded that group together. Again, please, you are all welcome to become part of that as you get to know us more. So please hear that from my heart. But we, we wanted to hear because our big idea, our takeaway is that God is in control. He's in control. I'm not. Brad's not. We're not. None of us are in control of this. We're looking for the Lord to speak. And so I've noticed that when I look backward, my looking back often shows more of God's control than looking forward. Do you guys see that in your life? Many times I felt like I wanted to scream, who is steering this ship? And I see that right there in Habakkuk. He had been complaining, and the Lord said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And he's like, well, then I'm not moving. I'm going to stay right here until you speak to me. Because he needed a voice. He needed direction. He needed something. He needed revelation that he didn't have within himself. I've had moments of that um, when we were going through infertility treatments, I don't know how many of y'all have done that, but those things make me crazy. I'm already hormonal enough. I have plenty of God-given ups and downs through my own body. And when you shoot me full of other stuff to try to get me pregnant, one, it, I never got pregnant that way. It never happened. But I was just a crazy ball of mess. I mean, all over the place. I oozed where no one wanted me oozing. Like, there was no overflow of the Spirit. It was just like, uh, it was a mess. And the Lord spoke to that and finally said, enough is enough that's enough. This is not the way I'm going to move in you. This is not the way I'm going to do this right now. Stop and do that. And, and then later on, it's interesting, the Lord moved in different ways, and we had two kids, and, and to be honest, Josie, I mean, Lottie, the little one, I get them all the wrong names, Lottie was a complete 100% surprise. We were just like, what? what? Praise Jesus. And, and in that, I learned and what it meant to be a resting place for the spirit. Because throughout about three quarters of her pregnancy and then the next year, I couldn't walk most of the time. I had a weird thing happen that the doctors assured me was relatively normal. Lots of people have it happen. I had never heard of it. But my pelvis came apart like five weeks into pregnancy, and I couldn't walk. There, my, I would walk one day, and then the next I would take a step, and there would be no nerve response in my leg, and the muscle would not tighten, and I would just fall. It became quite dangerous. It was, it was kind of scary. So there was a lot of time sitting and laying around and physically being in one place and learning, Lord, I can fight this, which I did for months. I fought it. And I was miserable, and everyone around me was miserable. And then I learned that I had to rest. I had to rest. And see, it's interesting in Habakkuk here, 
when you do a, a, a search through the Bible of watching posts or watch towers or watchmen on the wall, this is different. He's saying, I'm not going to fight and look out for the attack that's coming. I'm looking up. I'm looking up for my direction. And it's really different when you go and look at other places for watchmen. Those are often looking out. I'm going to speak out warnings. I'm going to have my ears there. And he's been doing that. He was already complaining about that. He's like, I see it. It's from our own people. We're doing this. How are you going to fix this? So he said, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to station myself, and I'm looking up. I want to jump to Jeremiah 6, 616. Right here, it says, Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. I set watchmen over you, saying, Pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. The Lord is never fully silent, even when we think He's silent. And that's Takeaway number two, God is in control even when he is silent. His silent means a few things. One is that the word of God is never silent. As an emotional being, as an emotional culture, I think we tend to just fill our silence. Like we turn on a radio, we turn on a CD, we turn on a YouTube and stream some new preacher. We're looking for feedback, right? So we post on Facebook or we post on Instagram. And we're looking for this bouncing affirmation of my existence in this world. And yet, oftentimes what we need to do the most is go here. And that's between me and God. That's the quiet place. That's the still place. That's submission, right? If we're not hearing his leading, then when we go in the world, like Mary, she said, hide her, she, that she hid her, his word in her heart. Um, if we're not listening, we can't do that. We can't, we, can't, we can't take this in and hide it if we're so full of all the other stuff. Um, and oftentimes that takes walking it out and doing something differently. And it's interesting, as I was reading back and forth about this area in Habakkuk, um, I came across a story that I think I had heard years ago, but I didn't, it had never impacted me. But one of those is about Martin Luther. And apparently Luther was so frustrated, and he was in Rome, and he was so angry with the brokenness around him in the church. Like, he was so frustrated. And he was walking up these steps and just pouring his heart out to God. Like, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. And he heard 2-4 right there, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And he had this completely illuminated thought by that, and it changed everything about who Martin Luther was, and that started the Protestant Reformation right there. Like, and we can go way too far with that. I'm not going anywhere with that theologically, because that's deep, and that's not my point. But my point is, the Word changes things for us when we sit in it. And he sat in it, and he listened, and he waited. And so this is what righteous living by faith means, that we don't always have a direct feed of direction from God. We don't. Sometimes my feed is off. I don't know. Do y'all ever have off feeds, like where you think people are saying one thing or like tiffing at home, like because something's just going like this? We don't have a direct feed of direction from God, but we have his directive word. And when we walk that out, that's faith. He's spoken in the past, and he will speak again in the future. And sometimes we just have to keep walking. We just keep moving. 
So I think sometimes sitting as a watch post is not passive either. It's an active form of rest. It does not mean that we don't physically do things. It means that we calm and we rest and we're still inside. Um, most of the Disney movies seem to have a little hint of this. I see it around the world in us that just keep swimming, just keep swimming, right? Like it's there. These truths are in the world around us even if we're not getting it. It's there. So just like the fasting did, when we fasted, we were waiting and we were listening. And it's excellent practice to put into place. So part of our church group is that fasting is important to us. And so you will often hear about us talking for a call on Fridays to fast. And when we have fellowship on the farm or Friday fellowships, we will often break our fast together with our feasting in that way. And we believe that that just brings our hearts together and gives us a time to focus and to hear on the Lord. So one is that God is in control. God is in control even when he's silent. And three, a position of waiting can open up a season of God taking action. And so then it said right there in number two, two, and the Lord answered me. And the Lord answered me. What happened right before that? The Lord answered him when he was still, when he waited. It's almost like God looked down, like as a father looks down, it's like, ah, now you got it. Now you got it. You don't have to keep arguing and running and, and just hitting your head against a wall. You waited. And I want to answer you. I want to speak to you. When believers, but when believers put their faith into practice, now they can really live. I think most of us know people, or maybe we've even been through seasons, or maybe you're in a season when you feel like you're surviving more than you're living, and survival is exhausting. It just is. When doing the day-to-day, -day, getting the plate, food of plates before the children or the food of plates in us, or just showing up is at a point of just utter exhaustion, we're not really living at that point. We're surviving. But when we enter into the rest of the word, and when we enter into a watch post of the word, we live regardless. We live when others hate us. We can live when others question us. In fact, I think often we should take a hint out of God's own book right there. To be silent more than to answer. To be silent more than we answer. It's okay to not have the answers. And we can live when others persecute us because we answer to God first. King's Church, we answer to God first. We're building memorial stones, not for ourselves, but for the generations to come. Because we will one day answer to our actions. And Marcy... You'll answer if you didn't stop my little daughter from running out that door one day, you know? Because Marcy has been invited to be a part of my family and to love on and help take care of my kids. And I'll answer if Sam didn't get a ride home yesterday, you know? Because we take care of each other and we step in. Because we're called to be the moms and the dads for each other. And if your heart is broken and it's hurting and you come to us and we don't weep with you when you weep and laugh with you when we laugh, then we will answer for that one day as well. 
I think specifically going back to like Bonhoeffer. Do you guys know who he is? I'm sure so many of you do. I don't even know if any of you here don't know who he was. He was a, you know, seriously, if you don't, come to me later. But Bonhoeffer had some of his most beautiful moments in a concentration camp. He was truly refined by fire. He loved people. And there's so many stories like that of people who truly lived in the moment of greatest persecution. And we're not there right now. We're not. But 6,000 of our brothers and sisters were killed this past week. And there is a moment that my children and our children and our grandchildren may really well be there. Or maybe our kids are going to be called to go there in the next generation. Or maybe some of us will be called to go there. And this kind of faith that Bonhoeffer and many of these people that we can look back and saw, that kind of faith transcends physical discomfort, doesn't it? They knew what was coming. They knew what was coming. And yet, there have been photos that have been taken and been found in the last couple of years of birthday parties, of weddings, of life happening in the concentration camp during the time of that persecution in the time of that death. Because we aren't created for just this life. We're meant to be eternal beings. And there's a greater presence and a greater purpose than where we are now. I think of Susanna Wesley, right? And Susanna Wesley lived a hard life. She's John and uh, Charles Wesley's mama. And she had like 19 kids and buried nine of them. And two sets of twins died, two sets of twins. And she had one baby that she had had such a hard pregnancy and delivery that as she was resting and nursemaid was taking care of the new baby, rolled over, squished it, and killed it in the middle of the night. This was her life. Like regular sense of just trauma and the things, the stories. I mean, it is beautiful and hard and heartbreaking. And yet this woman was systematically determined to teach the children that lived about the Lord. Her husband wasn't a great husband. He wasn't there. He wasn't supportive. You can read about him. He had his own woes. It was just a hard thing for him to carry. But she carried the rest of that and she mothered well. And her children changed nations because of her determination. And even on her own right, in a time where women couldn't stand up and speak, wasn't, she would often have 200 people or more cramming into her house on Sunday afternoons just to hear her teaching and talking from the Bible and just sharing because her heart was to mother and to mother well and to teach. And it changed generations. And that's what we are called to do. We are called to step forward, to pour into, to stand, and to know when to sit, and to know when to walk, and to hear from the Lord in that. As a body, as a whole, we are healing from past hurts. I think a lot of the group, like a lot of us, (laughs) have had great moves of God in the past, and we've walked through discomfort or disillusionment. Perhaps we are questioning our own actions or the actions of others. I don't know your story. And honestly, a lot of you don't know all of my story. We know bits and pieces. And that's okay. We'll get to know each other better. We have time. That's the great thing about family, right? And there are things that we will all have to lay down and confess. Lord, I didn't do this well. But we have to leave it there. We have to lay it down. Because if we don't lay something down, we can't pick up the next thing that the Lord has for us. So God says, stop. 
one of our first weeks in here, Sasha was praying over the kids, and she had them all make little red stop signs. It was teaching them about when the Lord says stop, when he puts red stop signs in our life. So we stop and we listen, and we look up instead of looking out. We look up first. Isaiah 21.8, when he who saw cried out upon a watchtower, I stand, O Lord, continually by day, and at my post I am stationed whole nights. This is what they saw. Fallen, fallen is Babylon and all the carved images of her gods. There was a remnant. There was a group left. Even after Habakkuk cried out and he said, listen, Lord, save us. And God basically looked at him and said, you know what? I'm going to save you by bringing somebody even worse along. And it's going to discipline you. And he cried out like, no, what am I going to do? This hurts. And then the Lord said, listen to me, share this. And Habakkuk is interesting because he never actually writes to the people. He talks about putting this on tablets right there. And it was interesting because the tablets would have been, uh, there's some talk whether the tablets were more like uh, billboards that when you come up and read the billboard, then you can take off running because you've read it and now there's a charge. Or um, are you written on tablets and then people, like professionals, go around holding the tablets and crying it out and saying, hey, this is what the Lord is saying. I mean, there's kind of either way. But basically, the word got out. But the word was like his private journal between him and God. The Lord gave him this vision and said, share this, share this truth. And it was just his word from God. But he wouldn't have heard it had he not stopped, sat, and listened. So then we look ahead and we praise. So if we jump, so much stuff, so much stuff here, y'all, so much stuff. But we have time. So one day we'll go back through more of it. But we're going to jump to three, to three right here, to the end of three. All right, because then we look ahead and we praise and we believe. Sometimes we praise even when our feelings aren't there, right? Because sometimes our feelings are lying to us. Shock. Okay, if you're not a female, you may not get that. I don't know. Men, do your feelings lie to you? I would presume they do. I would presume they do because you're human. But as females, one of the greatest things I have taught my daughters, I'm in the process still, especially with my teenager, is just because you feel it doesn't mean that it's truth, right? So as a church, can we look at each other and say, just because we feel something sometimes does not mean that it's truth, okay? Because sometimes we feel something greatly, and it's a complete bogus lie. And as a female in 30 seconds, you may realize that, right? But what have we acted on in those 30 seconds? Sometimes we live in lies for years, and we have so dug ourselves into this hole that we can't imagine laying that lie down. And yet that means more of our attention is holding on to that thing than the truth of the freedom that the Lord really has for us. So Habakkuk decided to do things differently than what we see done before. He decided to wait, to lay it down, and to only pick up what the Lord gave him. And the Lord gave him a song of praise. And y'all, I can't emphasize enough, read the whole thing later, but it wasn't just a song of praise. If you go back and you look and do a little bit of research, it is more like a triumphant entry. I mean, it, it was supposed to have music and instruments, and it is loud and is bold, and it was 
screamed. I mean, it was like a proclamation, not just a hymn. So when we stick the word hymn, say that again. Yeah, like heavy metal. Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to have a heartbeat behind it. Like, you could feel this thing. And, and I read one person's kind of commentary on it, and they were like, so learn how to, to proclaim it like that. You know, there's not much heavy metal here. Sorry. <laughs> That's just not happening. But let's, let's read on 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. And yet... I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Y'all, his perspective completely changed. Completely changed. I will wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He knew it was coming. He knew Babylon was coming. He knew the Chaldeans were coming to knock these people out. There wasn't a question there. He knew it, and he knew they deserved it. You know? I mean, he cries out in the beginning, Lord, why do I see such horrible things around me? but he's part of that culture. It's his people group. So he's waiting as well. Though the fig tree should not blossom or fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the field yields no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on high places. He's heard from his God, and even if the onslaught destroys him, he knows who he's serving. When believers put our faith into practice, we can really live. God's in control, even when he appears silent. But other times, it's up to us to be silent and to wait for him to answer. Y'all, I spent so much this week struggling to be silent. I think that was my main battle, was that I wanted to fill my time this week with either praise or woes or frustrations. And I found that I just needed to step aside and love my kids, and love my children, and do some feeding, the physical kind, cook a few meals, and believe that the Lord would speak anyway. And he did. He did. And it was interesting. He did in a way that surprised me. And he reminded me that we cannot lose what he has given us. And right now, as King's Church, he's given us each other. And whether or not we step into a new building for a year or two years or five years or whether or not he calls us to another place, that doesn't matter. The place doesn't matter. What matters is right here. This. Because Bonhoeffer and many others before us have laid a path of saying that they took this so seriously that they rejoiced and they praised as they walked to death. And I don't think any of us right now are heading in that direction. I hope not. But it's a heart position, not necessarily a physical position. 
Are we willing to do that? Am I willing to lay my life down for you? Are you willing to lay your life down for me? And are we willing as a family to raise another generation and another generation in the same thing? Are we willing to say some hard no's? Because we're going to have to. We're going to have to focus in a little bit. And we're going to have to fast a whole lot more. And we're going to have to seek for one another. And sometimes we're going to have to cry out because I can't remove the stones from your hands. I can't remove what you're carrying around. But I can offer a place and safety in saying we're going to do this together. I loved, you know, some of these verses were verses I remember my grandmother speaking on. You know, they're not necessarily popular verses to preach on or to share on today. But 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're building a family first, and we're stepping in as mamas, and the Lord has called me and spoken to me a lot over the last several months of not abdicating that role out of insecurity or fear or thought. Sometimes we want to lay ourselves less, and sometimes that's a lie. Sometimes the Lord says to hold up a banner and hold it high, regardless of how uncomfortable it makes you, regardless of whether that's your innate personality or not, to be in the front, on display, shouting something out. But if he's given you a word, it is to be in obedience that you share it. And, and there has to be a difference made. And our difference in our culture starts here with us. It starts with me. It starts with me looking out and saying, y'all, we need mamas. I need a family of mamas. It doesn't matter if you've birthed a child or not. That has little to do with the heart of a mama. And if you don't understand what a heart of a mama means, it means that there's a few things you need to lay down and go before the Lord with that. Because Mary was taught the heart of a mama, and she didn't have a husband or anything else before then. And she looked at the Lord and said, Lord, may it be as to me as what you have said. And then she said a few hard things. And later on, she looked out and said, do whatever he says. And so that's my challenge to us, is that we be bold and lay things down and sit still long enough to know and to hear. But our stillness is sometimes an active stillness. It's not passive. And so as our group transitions from one physical place to the next, and we clean and we repair and we praise, we also rest. And we listen. And we do this well together so that we can build a family and then build an army. All right? So that's what the Lord laid on my heart today, is for us to do that. And I wish I had stones. I really do. I mean, I just snaggled this from the kids when I was in the back pouring out. Hey, they painted, just to warn you. Um, They're painting in the back. Dear Jesus. But um, I want us just to seek his face 
and ask the Lord to do a little bit of soul reckoning this morning and listening. That if we have areas, come on, y'all, that, that we need to lay down, let's be bold. Let's lay things down. I mean, there's always the big things, right? There's sexual sins. There's pornography. There's demonic stuff. But I think sometimes some of the things that catch us up the most in that is that it hides behind that, is possibly insecurities, lies we believe about ourselves, and fears, and that we don't want to deal with that. And so we have picked up other things along the way that hide the true scars, the true infections, the, screw, the truth that's behind there. And sometimes as a mama, you learn that when the toddler is throwing a fit, it's rarely about what the fit is being thrown about. You know? A lot of times there's a need underneath that fit. Sometimes they just need some food because their blood sugar dropped and they no longer have self-control. You know? I mean, it's true. When our blood sugar drops, the kids fall apart. So Brad and I had to learn to do more snacks in our home. Heavens, I feel like I'm always feeding someone. But come today and be fed, right? Let's feed each other today. And let's lay down and be willing to look a little bit deeper, a little bit harder, so that you guys are ready to step up as a family, an army. And Kings 30 becomes Kings 90, Kings 120. You know, a future. I don't know, you mouthed something at me. I have no idea what you said. What? Oh, Brad's going to read the words of knowledge. Um, let me see. I want the two of y'all. Um, can you guys come over here? And you, you, and you. And Lynn and Courtney and y'all. There's going to be more as it goes along as we get to know each other's heart. I want both of y'all. Actually, would you guys stand over here? Yeah, come on. Move around. Because the Lord wants to deal and to cleanse, and he's doing that. And if you feel fear, or you feel rejection, or you feel apathy, I want you to sit in that for a moment and ask the Lord to wake you up, to be awoken to the truth of his word. Because those things are all just emotions hiding truth.